0: Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Now playing on demand is Red Army, an inspiring story about the Cold War played out on the ice rink and a man who stood up to a powerful system that paved the way for change for generations of Russians. Wild Tales, a Spanish language film made up of six stories about people faced with perceived injustice, is a mix of rage, fury, deception, and revenge. Watch the English subtitled film On Demand starting June 16th. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies On Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. This episode of Film Spotting SVU is also supported by Sundance Now Doc Club, the new streaming service for everyone who loves documentaries. Discover unforgettable films you can't find anywhere else. To get a free 30-day trial, go to duckclub.com/svu. That's d o slash l u b.com/svu. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And Allison Wilmore is actually at the Seattle Film Festival this week, so I'm joined by a special guest. He is the senior writer for Esquire.com and one of the hosts of one of my favorite film podcasts, Fighting in the War Room, Matt Patches. Matt, welcome to Film Spotting SVU. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, thank you. So, yeah, so you will be joining us for the whole show, and it uh, should be great. If you're looking, though, for our listener's choice review of Winter Sleep... I'm afraid that's going to have to wait for two more weeks for Allison's return. Did not make Matt watch the three-hour <laughs> Turkish art film. I did see the whale bones in that one still <laughs> that one time, so I could talk about that. In the meantime, though, prepare for something, frankly, completely different. Inspired by the news last week that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to star in a remake <laughs> Of John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, Matt and I are going to review the original 1986 film starring Kurt Russell, which is currently available to stream on Netflix. Plus, inspired by a piece that Matt wrote on Esquire.com about Hollywood's latest obsession with remaking specifically 80s movies, we're going to recommend some other movies from that golden decade that are supposedly in the remake pipeline that you can rent or stream at home right now. Basically... If you are a child of the '80s, you are going to love this show, and if you're well, not, well, maybe a, hate
1: us for suggesting that some of them could be rebooted. That's I don't know. true.
0: That's true. And if you're not a child of the '80s, this might rub you the wrong way completely. <laughs> yeah. But it's not our fault you were born at the wrong time. We're just doing what we can here. First up, though, is opening break a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films that are new on demand. I have all the picks, and first up is a movie I'm. Looking forward to, but also dreading because I'm kind of terrified to watch it. It is called The Nightmare. It is directed by a gentleman named Rodney Asher and it is available now on VOD. This film is a documentary. I'll read you the description here. It focuses on eight people suffering from sleep paralysis, a phenomenon where people find themselves temporarily unable to move, speak, or react to anything while they are falling asleep or awakening. Occasionally, and this is the scary part, the paralysis will be accompanied by physical experiences or hallucinations that have the potential to terrify the individual in the film. Asher interviews each participant and then tries to recreate their experiences on film with professional actors. So it's a mix of interviews and recreations of these horrible sleep paralysis nightmares. And Rodney Asher was the filmmaker who made Room 237, the documentary about The Shining and also about the fans of The Shining and their crazy theories. That was a documentary I really enjoyed, and I think he's a very interesting filmmaker, so I'm looking forward to seeing this. But also, thank God, I've never had sleep paralysis or anything like that, but I have a weird feeling that if I watch this movie, I'm going to give it to myself. I, you, I, I think it can actually be induced that way. It can be. Uh, when I saw this at
1: midnight at Sundance, I was surprised to see that so many people have experienced it. You know, at the end Rodney was like, Who who did who's experienced this? And mm-hmm. everyone raised their hands. I'm like, What? And then I went home and I'm like, I'm a little worried that I'm gonna go to sleep tonight and start feeling it because it does seem really mental. I mean it's a physical problem, but what you see in this documentary is that it's a shared experience. It doesn't seem to be the hallucinations that people have are are common. You know huh. I was obsessed with shadow people when I was younger. I don't I don't even know how that happened. But <laughs> Uh, it, it took the nightmare for me to realize like why shadow people became a thing it's because people with sleep paralysis have these similar visions where they see guys shadow lurking in the in the corner red eyes they have they're they're in individual pocketed interviews they're not all together but they're telling the same story people have these
0: shared Hallucinations. Yeah, Even though they're different people, they all have the same ones.
1: Yeah, whether it's a chemical thing or whether it's a spooky paranormal oh, thing.
0: It's um, getting scarier.
1: Yeah, there is a link between all this stuff, and it's terrifying. So and, you saw the movie at Sundance? Yeah. And you enjoyed it? I, I really did. I mean, maybe because I was sleep deprived. I probably saw it on like <laughs> the sixth night at a midnight movie, which I don't normally do. But I was very excited. I, like you, love Room 237. This is very different because... You know, I think Room two, thirty seven is a little cynical. Um, it, it's it's not laughing at its subjects, but it doesn't necessarily believe in what its subjects are telling him. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, it takes it very seriously. These people are plagued, uh, and and the people, their lives have been destroyed by these sleep paralysis. But it's also a horror movie because he can recreate these nightmarish visions. And I, I don't know. It it really spooked me because I'm always wondering. What lurks in the deepest, darkest realms of our brains, and these people have unlocked it in a way that actually paralyzes them when they go to sleep or they're sleepwalking. It's it's terrifying.
0: Well, you've made me want to both see it more and also kind of more see terif- it late at night. More terrified to see it. I don't think I will. I think I'm going to watch it like <laughs> at noon with all the lights on. Just yeah, to, but just to be safe, you might
1: doze off like uh. that afternoon nap. Afternoon nap paralysis
0: is actually oh. scarier. Wow. That's the sequel, The Nightmare 2, Afternoon Nap Paralysis.
1: Laying down to go to sleep, I would feel utterly exhausted, almost as if I had just been drugged. And my eyes sealed shut, my mouth sealed shut, and it's as if everything was shutting down except for
0: my awareness, my consciousness.
1: I had zero control over my body. Like, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't move my arms, my legs. I would try and fight it. It was just so strong. And then you're up and you're totally paralyzed. You can't move.
0: Well, it sounds fascinating. I am looking forward, and also slightly dreading, seeing it. That is The Nightmare. It is available now on VOD. Very quickly here, let's run through two more recommendations uh, on VOD. First up, another movie I'm really looking forward to seeing. This one, not dreading at all. This one is 100% uh, curiosity and excitement. It is the new film from filmmaker Andrew Bajalski It is called Results. It is available now on VOD as well. And I'll read you the very brief plot description here. Personal Trainers, played by Kobe Smulders from How I Met Your Mother and also from the Marvel movies, and Guy Pearce, who great actor from many films, are tasked with getting a newly wealthy and highly unmotivated client, played by Kevin Corrigan, another actor I love, into shape in this funny comedy about love and fitness. It also stars Giovanni Ribisi, Brooklyn Decker, and Anthony Michael Hall. Andrew Bujalski is a filmmaker who's one of the guys associated with the mumblecore world of films. Generally, his movies had... You know, un- either untrained actors or not famous people in them. This is his first movie with really like a really big name cast. You've seen this one as well. I have. I saw this one at Sundance. Yeah, this is
1: slicker than computer chess. His, I his loved computer film. chess. Yeah. Not a but slick it, film, but a great, funny comedy. But these actors, you know, now that he's got Hollywood types filling yeah. the roles, they get it. They get. Uh, Andrew's style of filmmaking and his style of comedy, and Kevin Corrigan is like a dream come true in this movie. He's fat and disgusting, <laughs> and has millions of dollars, and just wants to spend them and like renew his life. And it's so funny. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's just it's a really nice film. You won't be like this is one of the best films I've seen all year, maybe. But like, if you want to just a, a
0: really enjoyable
1: night with a loved one, I would see this movie. It's really good.
0: Awesome. Well, that sounds good. That is results that is available now on VOD, and finally. Uh, a film entitled Tim Buck 2, directed by Adoramane Sasako. That's going to be available on VOD on June 9th. This played at the Cannes Film Festival last year in competition. It won the prize of the ecumenical jury. And it was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. I've heard a lot of great things about this one as well. Another movie I've missed, another movie I'm looking forward to catching up with. Very briefly, the plot description here, a cattle herder and his family who reside in the dunes of Timbuktu find their quiet lives, which are typically free of the jihadists determined to control their faith, abruptly disturbed. And again, just a movie. I've never, I haven't heard a single bad thing about this movie. All I've heard is it is incredible. It is hugely powerful. Cattle, lots of cattle. As a cattle herding on film completist, I must you see need this to film. catch this one as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this one too. That is Timbuktu. That's going to be available starting on June 9th. All right, we're almost out of here.
1: Now, from here on, it gets pretty normal. Office's of storerooms, was a nice false front. I count to three.
0: Hello, yeah, I open that door. And we move out. Everybody got that. Everybody
1: Ready? Everybody got that.
0: Follow the leader. One, two, three. We may be trapped. Last week, uh, our guest on Film Spotting SVU, Matt Patches, wrote an excellent article on Esquire.com called these are the only movies from the 1980s that need sequels, remakes, or reboots. It was directly inspired by the news that The Rock will remake Big Trouble in Little China, uh, but it was also, I think, indirectly inspired by a ton of 80s remakes and sequels that Hollywood is currently developing. Uh, your piece was a list, right? Let's say it was a you're right. It was a patches-approved list of properties that were acceptable for remake a exactly. remakeification let's say I wanted
1: to I wanted to I wanted to boldly step in tune with Hollywood yes. and say like you know what if you want to remake 80s movies if you're jazzed about it here they are end of story let's never talk about it again
0: right you said no one should remake back to the future or shoot a sequel to who framed Roger Rabbit not even Robert Zemeckis, but you gave the go-ahead to a bunch—it was a long list. You actually provided—it was a very generous— I there
1: 55 films on that list. It
0: was a very generous list. It included The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, Kroll, Zelig, and then the one that I thought was really the—of the, all the movies, the one that seemed the most fitting just recently for a remake, Tootsie. Yeah, see a Tootsie remake. I just think we're in the moment for yes. a Tootsie remake. And it's, it seems like, so that list,
1: I think, leaves off a lot of really bad movies that we mm-hmm. just don't need again. They didn't have any thoughts going through their head the first time. Let's leave them alone. And it, leave, it leaves classics off the list, ones that got it perfect the first time. But there, there are movies that are very good that I think can be rebooted or remade or sequelized, you know, I think uh, the sequel will always have value now that we have the before sunsets and before midnights in our lives. We know that we can pick up with characters. But yeah, something like Tootsie seems just, it's the the moment, right? About women in the workplace Mm -hmm. and about a man pretending to be. I don't know what you would do with it But all the materials there. There's stuff there. there. There's
0: something. Yes, I agree. So Big Trouble in Little China wasn't on the list itself. Maybe that's something we can discuss as part of our review. It was made in 1986 by John Carpenter as his follow-up to Starman. And it was designed as a kind of comedic homage, let's say, to outlandish martial arts films. And stars Kurt Russell as truck driver Jack Burton, who rolls into San Francisco in his big rig, which is named Matt... I cannot remember off the top of it. The Pork Chop (laughs) Express! I don't love this film as much
1: as other people, or I didn't until I rewatched it, so uh, don't hold it against me that I can't remember the names of every single thing in it. All right. It's the Pork Chop Express. You you love this movie. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there.
0: (laughs) Uh, The Pork Chop Express inadvertently stumbles into the middle of a massive mystical gang war in Chinatown. An ancient warlock named Lopan has kidnapped the green-eyed fiancé of Jack's buddy Wang Chi, played by Dennis Dunn, and the duo team up with a plucky woman named Gracie, played by a very young Kim Cattrall, to infiltrate Lopan's heavily fortified compound to rescue the kidnapped girl and defeat the forces of evil along the way. There are some intense kung fu battles. There's a couple of super-powered bad guys (laughs) named the Three Storms. And there is also a lot of humor at the expense of Kurt Russell, whose Jack Burton looks like a classic Hollywood hero, but is a much better talker than he is a fighter. So my question to you, Matt, is this. Did you leave Big Trouble in Little China off your list of 80s movies you are willing or at least okay with seeing remade because it had inspired the piece and you just didn't want to mention it twice? Or do you see it as a sacrosanct 80s text that should be left alone? And if so, why?
1: Sacrosack might be a little too intense for Big Trouble in Little China, but I don't think you can remake it. When I heard about The hmm. Rock stepping in uh, and and the writers, I think the writers of maybe Thor and some of the Marvel movies are are behind this pitch and they're writing a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, which kind of makes sense. Uh I don't really see it. I don't think Hollywood can make this movie because I I, I'm i surprised Hollywood made it the first time. <laughs> um, and what makes it so perfect is that it's basically a Saturday morning cartoon, mm. um, which you think, actually, why didn't they make a Big Trouble in Little China cartoon when pretty much every 80s movie spawned one? Um, this one wasn't successful enough, probably. No, probably not. It but not it, had the, it had all the iconography for a great cartoon. That is true. Uh, or a great anime I I don't think you could take this movie and and do it again because it's too wild and it's too plotless and it's too in love with the imagery over whatever's driving Jack Burton and you know rescuing these girls. It might have a Saturday morning cartoon flavor and that seems to be all the rage in Hollywood. You can take Transformers movies. There was nothing going on in those Mm -hmm. uh, and turn those into giant vehicles. But this movie values its small scale too. It values that... uh, close combat fighting, silly wire work, um, puppetry. It, 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 it's about how much stuff it can s- cram into a really small space. And Hollywood doesn't value small spaces. It ha- it would have to be bigger. And with The Rock, you know, he did this uh, remake of Escape from Witch Mountain. Uh, where he I never just, saw that. Where he just played, he was kind of in the background because it was really about the two kids it's and a he's kid's a protector. Movie. And Jack is also if you watch this movie again, you might think of Jack Burton as the hero, as the guy at the front of this pack the whole time. Right. It's interesting how often Carpenter loses track of Jack because <laughs> he's not that important and he's right. not helping anyone most of the time. He's uh, fumbling with his gun, forgetting to like turn the safety off, or he can't throw the knife the right way, but right. he can just smug at the camera and like fluff his mullet or whatever. It's very funny. <laughs> The, the Rock is not going to be able to do that in this movie. So then the movie becomes something else. It becomes about the white guy being able to save the day, in a way. Um, and while I do think they are remaking it because, you know, China kind of dictates our market at this point. Interesting, um, interesting, the, the, yeah. I, I, can, I can see the reasoning behind making it. Uh, I don't see how you do it with today's language.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, on the one hand, there are things about it that certainly would lend itself to a remake today. Certainly it does have a lot of special effects and these crazy characters which you could visualize even more spectacularly now. And I do think I'm gonna sort of agree and disagree with you about The Rock in the sense that I do think the Rock has sort of a winking presence there where he could be a Jack Does he? Yes. I think he could be a Jack Burton type. Except for the problem that, as you point out, like, Jack Burton's whole the whole premise of Jack Burton is that he looks like the typical hero and the whole joke is while the macho white guy lead it looks like the hero actually his sidekick is the guy who's really saving the day he's the real hero and the whole premise is uh you know jack burton is is not as cool or as special as he thinks he is and as movies tend to portray that sort of guy as and i think when you cast the rock you sort of undercut that because even though he is big and muscly he's not like the typical white guy hollywood leading man so that joke doesn't work anymore
1: Right, you have you have to be the new Tom Cruise. No, you have to be like Liam Hemsworth. Yes, now exactly. If like Liam
0: Hemsworth had a sense of humor about himself, <laughs> he would be a more appropriate Jack Burton. But The Rock, I do think The Rock is funny. I do think you'd have to. You're going to have to like change. If it was him in Pain and Gain, do it. Play, you know, a bumble, a truly
1: bumbling character. It's all about what Hollywood would ask him to do in yeah. this role. And w- you and I just saw uh, San Andreas, a, a, a rock movie that every a lot of people thought was a lot of fun. I did not. I don't think you did. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, and part of the problem is because everyone asked The Rock to play it straight. Um, there's no room for him to spoof himself. Right. Or play with the fact that he is a giant person. He might actually be perfect if, you're, if you have to remake Big Trouble Little China. He is right. huge. He is an action hero. Um, and if he was a total goof it would work.
0: I having seen him do some comedies, having seen some of his uh, you know, wrestling work, I think he he <laughs> has that side and it could work. You're going to have to change it. That's just the thing. It's like it's n- the 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 central joke of Jack Burton is just going to have to be changed. But that's fine. We have the original movie. We're going to try something different. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. You asked me before if I love Big Trouble in Little China and I don't love it. I do like it though. I think it's just a fun I think it is a really fun movie and I do like just the shtick of Jack Burton, and I just think Kurt Russell is so fantastic as this character, kind of doing like almost like a John Wayne kind of thing. He's swaggering the way he talks. Well, what's interesting is sometimes he
1: does pull it off, you know, in the moments in the beginning where he's betting – and he he knows this guy is not going to cut a bottle in half with his machete. Right. And then he catches the
0: bottle like, oh, cool! You're a cool guy. You're a hero. I would argue that that's one of the problems with the movie is that the movie kind of oscillates between, Kurt, you know, Kurt Russell is r- a real badass, and Kurt Russell is kind of a, a schmendrick. But you need that. You need that because wh- he is a
1: great guy, and he's a great truck driver, and that's <laughs> almost like a truck driver game. It's not really what he's being asked to do later and it inflates his head, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be really smart and suave in a truck driver kind of way. But when it comes to like rescuing heroines and plowing through, uh, kung fu shooting electricity people out of their hands it's not gonna work it's that's not what truck drivers do
0: you may be right all my favorite moments though in the movie are when kurt russell does something stupid and the movie laughs at him (laughs) and i kind of just wish there was a little bit more of it that it was a little more consistent
1: he gets a little lost in the shuffle because i think carpenter is just so obsessed with everything he's throwing at his he's, he's he's painting his pollock here in a way <laughs> it's just absurd how much stuff happens in this movie like and i and i like that there's not a lot of build-up to it right jack and wang chi is best friend they're going to the airport right and we don't really know what why this matters at all like why why jack is even doing this favor is kind of Obscured.
0: He wants to get his money. He's waiting to get his money. Yeah, he, he has. He doesn't a want to let Wang out of his sight because he wants his money back. It's just funny how it's really like Alice in Wonderland. He, f- they all That's fall exactly down right. the rabbit hole.
1: Exactly right. And there's no question. Jack never says like, "Hold on a second what the f*** is going on? Can I say that on this podcast? I just did. Sorry. Um, it, 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 there, and it never stops. And Carpenter never stops. He keeps throwing stuff at the movie. And you don't know why. Like, why are there super-powered gods coming down? And, and, and it just matters the adventure. There's plotting happening in the background at all times. And it propels forward. And, yeah, they sacrifice Jack a little there. Because Carpenter is so obsessed with the next crazy idea.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of fun crazy ideas, and I do like that quality to it, that, as you put it, the down the rabbit hole quality. It always felt to me like they just all of a sudden like 5 minutes into the movie or maybe 10 minutes into the movie they just go into like a dream state and they just never kind of wake up because the beginning of the movie is yeah they're in San Francisco they're playing this ga- they're gambling they go to the airport and then all of a sudden they they turn the corner and it's almost like they literally turn the corner from like real San Francisco streets into like a very obvious set and it's like the moment they do yeah. that it just suddenly the movie kind of evaporates into this crazy dream logic where all of a sudden they're literally in the middle of this giant gang fight and and Jack Burton's constantly like lost and confused and and Wang Chi is sort of like just it's okay Jack don't worry about it Jack just just stay with me yeah he's so assured he's been here before or yeah like, he seems to know on? yeah every he's very confident and then yeah and then the three storms show up and they seem to have they literally seem like gods they have like unlimited powers and yeah, then you can
1: see where Mortal Kombat took its cues from
0: might have might have taken a little something from this movie, I don't know, possibly. And then, yeah, and then Lopan shows up, and and then we're inside that, his fortress, and that fortress is almost like another world unto itself. I just sort of, I really enjoy the way that it, it does kind of throw you into this stuff. And while there are people uh, talking about what's going on, and occasionally there are brief pauses where Jack kind of asks questions which aren't really given straight answers, they really just keep things moving. And and I, I, there's been a lot of movies recently I think of a movie like Tomorrowland where there's a lot of dense mythology in that movie and all it is is people talking about it, right? Yeah. And they, they are so busy explaining and talking and questioning that they don't actually get to like enjoy the mythology. They don't actually really get to revel in it. Whereas this movie is all about kind of just diving headfirst into all that craziness and really kind of running around in it and having a lot of fun with and it. And then And then no one acting surprised, like
1: taking the moment to be like, Wait, <laughs> someone tell me what this is.
0: Why is there a furry monster in the middle of all right. of this? Or like
1: Lopan's uh slobbering multi-eyed monster that sees for him? They encounter yeah. this thing at like the flying... end of the movie. Yeah, and and everyone's like, ah! And they uh, fight it or they throw it like they throw it out of their way, and then Jack is like, "What was that?" Oh, that's Sees for Lopan. Let's go! <laughs> no,
0: no explanation. No. I don't think you but I don't think you need one, you know? No. You don't it's that's the thing. It really shows that 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 sort of stuff is just unnecessary. Well, like if, if the that... movie is fun, it doesn't matter all that explaining. And that was really like one of my big issues with Tomorrowland. Was why
1: just... is it that modern movies seem to ask the question "why" more than these '80s movies? When our our modern blockbusters abandon those questions it's so good quickly question. and and don't really care about?
0: Them. You know, I, th- I I just thinking of movies like uh, a Tomorrowland. So maybe this is unfair to you know paint all modern movies this way. But just guys like. You know, uh, Lindelof, they're so obsessed with mythology mm. and and that sort of stuff like they, they 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 seem to care more about the backstory than they do the story. And yeah. so they get so caught up in that stuff and how oh, did this happen? and why is this? and who made this? that they kind of lose the forest for the trees, I think, you know like if if Lindelof wrote the Big Trouble remake, it wouldn't, you know, we would have to know where David Lopin came from and what that creature with all the eyes is and and where the the monster with the fur came from. Like every character would have a, a very explicated, very laid out backstory that we would have to know.
1: Yeah, I don't know where that comes from, like what Lindelof would have been inspired by. I feel like there must be a movie. And for me, a lot of this comes from Dark Knight. Like we talk about the post-Dark Knight world or Batman Begins world being obsessed with dark and gritty remakes. Um, but i i think we've drifted away from that a little bit but what persists from batman begins is why 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 mm. why everything must be rooted in i mean maybe that's comic books too i was going to say i the think there's and
0: 90s. i think that's there's some of a certain amount of like fanboy impulse to want to know everything, to know every intimate detail, to understand how everything fits together into that big web of continuity, right? right? Only only
1: kids just enjoy things on the surface level. They watch cartoons, but we can get into serious comic books because we're adults, so now there has to be an explanation if we're going to take it seriously.
0: Another thing that I really love about the Carpenter film, we've talked about it a little bit, is the is just the the look of it, the production design. Yeah. I love the the bright colorful nature. That's another thing that is different and you have to think might be a very different about any remake is so many movies today are, are you know they're the dark gritty we need the gritty version and there is very little gritty about big trouble it is so bright and colorful I love that ends the end set that set that's sort of like during the wedding scene that is sort of like a cross between like an ancient temple. Yeah and like a really trashy neon light district. Everything has like a neon light bulb outline. It just looks so bright and fun. I
1: kept thinking, why would we need, when I rewatched it recently, why would we need a Big Trouble in Little China remake when we have Scott Pilgrim? Mm. And like, why would you remake Big Trouble because Scott Pilgrim did do that well, so like that big uh, Scott Pilgrim is the last movie after big Trouble that I think could be so colorful and unabashedly cartoonish mm. on purpose. I mean, the designs of the monsters and stuff and and the costumes and like shooting electricity out of your hands, all the powers, all the weapons in big trouble, like the spinning blades and everything that people are using. it's all it's all very fantastical. Um, today. You know, look at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles remake. They have to look. Do like
0: I do I have to look at it? You. Can I choose? look at it? Ugh. Look! Um, I, I saw it. I don't need to look at it, look again. At it again. No, no. no. Um,
1: they have to be what real turtles, or like they have to be modeled after something. It's something about CG where you have so much detail that it starts having to look like something based in yes. reality to me. I know sense. exactly what you're saying. Or it's going to look bubbly, whereas these puppets were able to look like cartoon characters. They really, you could do a one-for-one transfer for the Saturday morning cartoon version of Big Trouble Little China. It's interesting how this movie fits into Carpenter's filmography, you know, like alongside all the horror movies. He had just done Starman, a movie that I did put on my rebootable, remakeable mm. list. I would like to see that. Um, romance. I am try I, I don't know if he's like the best director we'll never know but he seems adept at shooting action I mean like Assault on Precinct 13 is a wild movie very angular um and and here he seems to capture it all in a in a whirlwind effect like is the action perfect maybe that's if anything's lacking with this movie that it doesn't have true momentum. And if there's a reason to remake it, maybe you could do more with your camera in these kind of limited spaces. But I like how close quarters it is, and I like how all the kung fu fights are kind of up in your face, or even when they're flying in the air. The effects are, so they hold Surprisingly, up. surprisingly good. Yeah,
0: yeah, the movie looks pretty good. And I, I enjoy the, that last big fight scene in that big temple. I think it works really nicely. And and yeah, that that when that, in that scene where Shang-Chi is fighting one of the three storms and they're sort of, yeah, leaping through the air and sword fighting at the same time. I I feel like that's the sort of thing where if you remake it, that's going to be like, that's going to be, be one shot, one shot thing. Yes. One shot, all CGI. And it's going to be completely underwhelming. That's like good. I like the sort of unreal su- supernatural quality that John Carpenter gave it where it, it, it feels it definitely does not feel of this realm. And it has right. that otherworldly quality. But it's still fun and exciting, and uh, there's some. There is you. You mentioned how the CGI in a movie like the Ninja Turtles makes things look so real. That could be a death or a sentence. Pre- or a, not even it looks real. But they just try- a pressure to feel real, right? that 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 could be a death sentence to a movie like Big Trouble if they're like, Well, when they're leaping through the air sword fighting, it's gotta feel real. Like that's not what this movie Yeah, I wanna is all see about. trails of air as they're right, exactly. breaking the sound barrier or something. Yeah, that could be really, <laughs> really troubling. Well Big troubling. It could be big in troubling remake. in Little China for sure. Well that is Big Trouble in Little China. It is now available on Netflix and probably in a few years the remake Starring the Rock will totally. be available as well. But in the meantime you'll have to watch the John Carpenter version. We're thrilled to have a new sponsor joining us on Film Spotting SVU. It is Sundance Now's Doc Club. It's a new streaming service for everyone who loves documentaries. Doc Club brings the human voice back to movie recommendations because, unlike other services, Doc Club's films are handpicked by expert programmers with unique perspectives and cultural icons like Ira Glass and Susan Sarandon. Their library of documentaries includes incredible stories of all types, including crime, history, politics, music, and sex. And as a Sundance Now Doc Club member, you also get exclusive benefits like free movie tickets, access to film festivals, award shows, and more. And there was an interesting article that sort of went viral a little bit last week in the wake of the big Caitlyn Jenner story and her cover on Vanity Fair. Uh, you can read about it at Birth Movies' death. The article was called How Marwin Call Changed a Transphobic Caitlyn Jenner Hater's Mind. And it's about how this guy shared this angry complaint uh, that Caitlyn Jenner was receiving too much attention for being brave and and put this on Facebook. And when this guy did that, he included a picture of what he claimed was, quote, real American courage and heroism. And it was a picture of a couple soldiers in battle, but it turned out—did you read this story? I did, I did. It turned out that the picture was actually a pair of toy soldiers poised in battle, and it came from this movie called Marwin Call, a 2010 documentary about a guy who's left brain damaged by this attack. He's beaten by a bunch of guys outside a bar, and he tries to recover to deal with the trauma by building this little town full of toy soldiers. And the guy, Mark Hogan Camp, it turned out the reason he was attacked was because he dressed like a woman. So to the guy's credit who put this original thing on Facebook— when he found this out, when he learned this story, he posted another thing on Facebook, a little bit of a mea culpa, kind of revealing that when, yes, he found this error, that this was this was not actually soldiers, this was toy soldiers, and when he heard about Mark, Mark Hogan Camp's story, it actually kind of made him readjust his thinking about Caitlyn Jenner, which is great. And Marwan Call is a fabulous documentary. So good. Such a great documentary about this guy, Mark Hogankamp, about his life, about the way he's dealing with his life with these toys. And if you want to watch it for yourself, if you've never seen it, you can watch it right now on SundanceNow.club. Film spotting SVU listeners can check it out or check out many other documentaries by going to SundanceNow.club and signing up for a free 30-day trial to try out their service. Get your free 30-day trial at dotclub.com slash SVU. That's D-O-C-C-L-U-B dot com slash SVU. You can feel the thunder moving like an evil tree. So our subject on Cue Shots, as we've already said, we're talking about 80s movies that are announced in the pipeline or in some cases coming to the theaters very soon for either remakes or sequels. And we've talked a little bit generally about this topic already. But before we get to our picks, Matt, is there anything else we want to say? Maybe like just what is driving this phenomenon right now? Is it just shameless nostalgia? I mean, obviously, the children of the 80s, as we are both. We seem to get whatever we want in popular culture right now. It's all... Everything is geared towards us. But, I mean, is there anything more to it than that? Is it just that I think there are probably a few factors.
1: One, it might be the age of people in Hollywood. You know, the people Uh. who get to press the button and make things happen. Um, And two, 80s movies... You know, it was when anything could happen, seemingly. The 70s were way serious. And, um, you know, we often talk about Jaws kicking off blockbuster culture. And in the 80s, every crazy idea happened. Um, And because they're available IPs, if you want craziness on the big screen, if you want to blow up a crazy sci-fi idea or fantasy idea. Right. um, Or any idea, blow it up for 2015 you go to the 80s because that's where all the ideas happened and by the 90s everything was too big I think and you can't really you can't trump most of the movies from the 90s Um, they'll try
0: when they run out of the (laughs) 80s movies but right now I think the 80s are prime for the reaping it's an interesting point that I think you've got a, and it's a good one I think that I hadn't really considered that not only uh, is the audience you know being catered to with these 80s movies, but the people that are making a lot of these things are fans themselves, and that's what they want to be involved with. I mean, movies like a Jurassic World, you know, Colin Trevorrow talks about being a huge Jurassic Part fan, or and,
1: uh, Larry Ellison, who runs uh, Skydance. I think Larry Ellison, Megan Ellison's brother. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, he wants to make. Terminator, terminator right? genesis yep because he loved terminator right. and terminator 2 right well if you love it so much why do you do this to us
0: <laughs> uh but i think no. that's a very i, I think that's hold a, back judgment there i think that's a good point though i do uh, that it's not just the fans or the audience that wants to see it or has made clear their desire for more it's that the you know these 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 filmmakers come along and what happens now is right they make an independent film they go to Sundance. It's a it's a big hit, and then suddenly someone in Hollywood comes to them and says, "What do you want to make? What do you love?" Not, not even what, yeah, not even what do you want to make? What movie did you love? Right? What did you love as a kid? Well, I loved X, and it's like, oh, great sequel rights. That. Yeah, the sequel rights are available. <laughs> do you have a pitch? What's your pitch? What's your take? Give us your take, and then suddenly here we are. We've got it's a million a total movies. Recall remake. Exactly. We've got a we've got a million of them, and I, I, beyond the nostalgia thing, there is. I think it's uh, partially. And it's very cynical to say, but I do think it is an extension of the same thinking that gives us, you know, so much of the other just sort of franchises, superhero movies, just the idea of a brand that it's not about movies anymore. It's about brands and awareness. And does your do people know what your property is? That doesn't even have to have like a strong affinity, because I think a lot of the movies we could talk about that are being remade some, I mean, have their cults. But like Big Trouble in Little China is not a blockbuster. It is not a, 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 on the level of a Jurassic right. Park or a Terminator. But, even but a it drop, has yeah, even but it a has drop. a name. Yeah. It's a name people know it. People remember the name. They've seen it on television on cable. They know Kurt Russell. They know what the characters look like and like that's enough. I All think it needs that is is that key. Just like, that you don't have to explain what it is. If people know what it is, you're halfway there.
1: Yeah, if you're going to ask someone to pay like $20 to see a movie I mean, that's how much somebody in New York will often sure. pay for a movie. Um, they need just an ounce of familiarity. Like, oh, it's been a movie before? Well, then this movie has a chance.
0: And it's funny because part of the problem, perhaps you could argue, that like a reason that Big Trouble didn't make a lot of money or wasn't successful was that it didn't have that familiarity in the first place. But ironically, once you make it, Then you can remake it and people are more familiar with it now. Like a movie, you know, just recently, again, we've talked about before, like Tomorrowland, a movie that's not doing well. And, yeah, people know Tomorrowland from the theme park. But they look at it and they go, but I don't know any of these characters and I don't really know even how this relates to the theme park. It's like it's not enough even to have that much familiarity. It has to be I know what this is. I know what I'm paying for. It's like no one wants to be surprised. Oddly
1: enough, I mean, I have to side with the remake trend a little bit. Um, I think the problem is people want to remake good movies and they want to remake visionary movies. Mm. You know, Big Trouble in Little China is so weird and feels (laughs) so individual that I don't really understand someone's sense of uh, of being able to remake that. If you just saw it as a Saturday morning cartoon, then I would get that. We can adapt the imagery and blow it up and make it a huge $100 million blockbuster. But the movies I want to see, I do want to see movies from the 80s remade. I want to see and one of the movies on my list was The Breakfast Club. Hmm. Now, that is a sacrosanct movie for a lot of people. Yep. Um, perfect casting, perfect setup, John Hughes, but you know what? I would see like Judd Apatow's spin on The Breakfast Club if he wanted to tinker with that for a 2015 world hmm. and cast new people in these roles. What are the the high school stereotypes right now? They're not what they were in the 80s. Someone take this material seriously. Treat it like a play. Treat it like Shakespeare. Uh, and you can remake it. That's why Shakespeare is put on every single year and every, across the country. Um, why can't our movies be more like Broadway plays that they're constantly putting up uh, and be, and we want to see them because new actors can fill those ro- roles and do something new
0: all right well let's get to our uh, our picks here we've each chosen two movies that are in various states of remakeification or sequelization mm. uh maybe I'll go first here I'm gonna start with a 1989 film just sneaking in under the 80s deadline here it is available now on Netflix and it is called kickboxer This is Jean-Claude Van Damme's follow-up to Bloodsport, his breakthrough role about a guy in an underground fighting tournament. Kickboxer is sort of the love child of Bloodsport and Karate Kid. If those two movies had a baby, they would produce something that looked a lot like Kickboxer. It has Jean-Claude Van Damme playing the brother of a kickboxing champion who is paralyzed by a vicious opponent named Tong Po. And he's desperate for revenge, so he travels to this remote part of Thailand and convinces a Muay Thai master named uh, Jean Chow, played by Dennis Chan, to train him for a, a fight with Tang Po. So he does, with a regimen that feels heavily inspired by Mr. Miyagi, he makes him take get his groceries, he forces him to r- to run from dogs with meat dangling from his shorts, and basically, eventually— One of the best exercises, by the way. Yeah, that helps. Totally undervalued it, it, today— Trains the legs. Uh, eventually, he graduates to straight-up torture. I don't know if you remember this scene. He ties his ropes, ties his legs with ropes and pulls them apart until Van Damme screams in agony. Uh, but about 15 minutes of training montages later, he's ready to take on Tong Po, this time in a fight in the quote-unquote ancient way, which apparently means they box in these tiny little thong loincloth things and cover their hands in broken glass to make them very dangerous. And that's really the only thing that makes Kickboxer worthy of a remake. That's sort of what I was taking away from it, looking at it again. Obviously, I'd seen this movie a million times as a kid on cable, but had not watched in a very long time. I maybe had never seen this movie all the way through in one sitting. The setting of the final fight, that's very memorable and kind of iconic, them in these weird outfits with the glass on their hands. Otherwise, it's really just a a Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle. It only works because of his talents. Um, and he is by his standards, at least very good in the movie. He has a really fun scene where his t- teacher takes him to the bar to get him drunk to see how he fares in a in an unfair bar fight, and he's like dancing with women very drunkenly, and then he's like dance fighting at the same time, and that's a great sequence. He's a good dancer too. He's, he's been, a very good he's dancer done some serious dancing. Yeah, so I, I don't know if it's going to translate to another movie. Um, but they are making it anyway. It's coming and next year, It's coming next year. Van Damme is actually in it. He plays uh, the kickboxing teacher this time. And I believe the uh, kickboxer, Elaine Moussi, plays the Kurt Sloan, the main character. Same basic premise, brother seeking revenge, trained to be a kickboxer. The biggest name in the movie besides Van Damme this time is Dave Bautista from Guardians of the Galaxy. He's going to play Tong Po. And uh, it's already been shot, supposedly coming out next year. It's called Kickboxer... Vengeance. Gina
1: Carano is in
0: it. Gina too, Carano right? is in it too from Haywire. Oh so, my
1: god! Yeah, but yeah, again,
0: <laughs> the original movie definitely not a sacred text. It could be improved, but this was sort of, sort of what we're talking about. Like I was watching, going, "Why do you make this? Like, does Kickboxer have a brand in the action movie world? I feel like if you're gonna remake any." Van Damme movie you go with Bloodsport right that's the one that has the more memorable storyline that has the name you think of
1: it also resonates throughout his career a little bit stronger than
0: yeah Kickboxer is very I mean I watched it it's fine it's fun but it's a little bit generic, except for Van Dam. Like that's the thing. Like it is a Jean Claude Van Damme vehicle. You are watching it for him, so it's really going to depend how this new guy is. Wait, and how so much... who is
1: the lead of the the remake? The
0: remake is this guy Alan oh. Musi, who's like a kickboxer, and he's done stunt work and well, stuff.
1: Well, that's a plus. He's a kickboxer. He is so a kickboxer. That is the, that's in the movie, time.
0: right? So they won't have to cut around him. He won't, you know, he has that going for him. He has that kind of Van Damme background of Although having. Although he's fighting Dave Batista, they will ha- still have to cut around. I don't because... know, Dave Batista has uh, He's a you know professional uh, wrestler has a lot of supposedly has a lot of background in jujitsu and stuff oh, okay so i guess but that's sort of that was sort of what i found fascinating Rewatching it was just like that you know it, this might be an example of where people really are like we've got to remake everything because it's not something you would put on a list of movies where you go people love kickboxer they know it they're ready for a remake so but if you're looking for it if you want to watch it it is available on netflix but actually Bloodsport is on netflix too so i would probably recommend that first over kickboxer and there are a bunch of other van damme movies on netflix death warrant cyborg and universal soldier day of reckoning which is technically a 90s sequel reboot movie but it definitely fits into this category of a movie where it was you know it has a name and they take the name and they make a sequel reboot kind of a thing with it and it only kind of tangentially fits but it is playing on that name. I actually think that movie is the best of all that these that I've mentioned. I really People like love that movie. I, I love that movie. Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning. Is that Scott is Scott a...
1: Adkins in yes, Day of Yes, he is the lead. He Why is, is the... he not in all of the
0: Jean Claude Van Damme remakes? It's a good question. Supposedly he was supposed to be in this Kickboxer remake, and for whatever reason, he dropped out or he left it or whatever. But he's not in he that one. Had to drop kick someone else. He was busy like kicking that. somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Kickboxer, and that is available on Netflix. All right, my first pick here is is a, um, a movie I don't know why
1: you would remake because I don't think it was terribly successful. Made maybe $18 million back in 1986. It's called Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> That's probably more than Big Trouble made. That is true, but yeah, I don't think The Rock is going to play a 12-year-old boy <laughs> who discover, who accidentally time travels and mourns the loss of his family, only to be rescued by a talking spaceship that uh, He'll takes play the spaceship. him on a wild... <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you uh, smell what the spaceship is cooking. And not just the voice, he will play. He'll play big the... enough to play a yes. spaceship. <laughs> um the Navigator is... is I often, you don't want to get me drunk at a bar and start talking to me about kids movies. Um, Not many people do. But if you did do that, I would yell at people and yell at you about why movies like Fly the Navigator have kind of fallen off the map. Movies that are really just about kids' adventures. Um, Mm. I thought about the movie recently. This and Joe Dante's Explorers when I saw Tomorrowland um, because there's an opportunity for a movie to be about kids, uh, figuring out how the world works. Um, And no, George Clooney had to be there. But... Fly the Navigator is about this 12-year-old boy and it's really kind of a depressing setup. He falls in a ravine and kind of goes into a coma and he wakes up and uh, it was 1978 and now it's 1986 and his parents are gone ga- like his house has been abandoned and luckily he get he connects with this um, talking spaceship AI being who is kind of like Brainiac because he's collecting aliens from around the The galaxy, uh,
0: Brainiac from the Superman comics. Brainiac from the Superman for the, comics. For those who aren't huge nerds like <laughs> us, we should make that clear. Brainiac yes. from the Superman comics. Um, and the AI is named Max,
1: and they go on a bunch of adventures. The you know NASA is involved. NASA actually, the, in the beginning of the movie, they 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 see glimpses of the spaceship already in his brain, and NASA is is evaluating him, and lots of crazy adventures and time traveling to get him back with his family, and teach him about life. And it's really all from a kid's perspective. You know, it has that ET element where um, adults are doing something, they're they're curious, and they don't know what's going on, and they're scared, so they're reacting. Um, but it's really about kids' perspectives, and that's what I love about it. I would show this to any youngster who wants a taste of science fiction, uh, totally appropriate for all ages, but a little dark. Um, and And I don't think we get a lot of movies like that because you can't really make a movie for a kid
0: anymore am i wrong like what fits that bill i'm trying to think as you're saying this i mean there are you're right where i don't think we get a lot of movies like this where the kid is the main character you're much more likely now to have a kid sidekick something like a jurassic world where the kids are sort of uh, they're sort of the number three and four characters beneath the main adult leads. We've got because the idea is you want to make a movie for everyone, not just for kids now, yeah. right? So you have to have the kids in there for the kids, but you've also got to have adult characters for the adults.
1: Yeah, it's inter- well, it's interesting that you bring up Jurassic World because who was. Uh- Hired to remake *Flight of the Navigator* in 2012, still stewing, uh, Colin Trevorrow and his uh-huh. writing partner Derek Connolly. Uh, after their their big Sundance with *Safety Not Guaranteed*, Disney hired them to to write a remake of this movie, and the Variety report is very funny um, because. Uh, it it turns out uh, they don't really care about Flight of the Navigator at all. Huh. Um, uh, Connolly, the writing part, Trevor O's writing partner, said Flight of the Navigator wasn't a seminal movie of my childhood, but I remember liking it. <laughs> and the original <laughs> meant a lot to Colin, so it's his baby. So one out of the two of them liked it. Okay, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, How much am I getting paid to make this movie? Yeah, I liked it. It was pretty good. Cannot cannot imagine disney making this movie at all it's interesting they don't make movies for kids anymore you look at their giant slate and they have the marvel movies they have the star wars movies they have dreamworks making spielberg movies basically at this point and um they are remaking all of their classic like yeah animated i was films gonna say maybe that's cinderella the for is kids. not really for kids it's for teenagers right or kids who kind of grew up they only had the animated cinderella they only had the animated beauty and the Beast. And it's certainly a different. It's a
0: different kind of vibe,
1: for yeah. sure. I mean, well, Fly I, the Navigator is not a A team uh, or a A list Disney film, right? I have to say again, like the the special effects hold up. Seeing this kind of model flying f- over uh, fields and flying through forests, it, it looks great. And Alan Silvestri, who did the theme to Back to the Future and a lot of other movies, he wrote this beautiful score for it. It's a real gem, um, and I can't—I'm not worried about Walt Disney uh, remaking it because I don't think they will.
0: So you think even though they've announced it, it's supposedly in the works, you don't think it's ever going to happen?
1: I just don't see the landscape— doesn't fit yeah there's, there's no room for flight of the navigator redux yeah. uh so where can people watch that one uh, And people can find that on itunes every once in a while pops up on netflix but i feel like the disney negotiations <laughs> i i never know what's allowed on netflix you can so you can rent it on itunes you can actually also see it on the walt disney um anywhere app which i have not used and i'm not exactly sure how that works but if you are a, a subscriber to that you can pick it up there too
0: okay all right my next pick is one whose new version is already done, coming to theaters this summer. It opens on July 29th. That would be Vacation, originally National Lampoon's Vacation from 1983, directed by Harold Ramis, the late, great Harold Ramis. That is available currently to rent on all the different usual suspect sites. Uh, The original film, directed by Ramis and written by a very young John Hughes, Stars Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold, the patriarch of a Chicago family who takes his wife Ellen, played by Beverly D'Angelo, and their two kids, Rusty and Audrey, on a cross-country road trip to a California amusement park named Wally World. Along the way, almost everything that can go wrong does. They get an unwanted extra passenger in the form of Aunt Edna. They get her cruel dog as well. They lose all their credit cards. They run out of money. The car goes off the road. Many other shenanigans. And this one is an interesting case for a remake because it's sort of being remake. We've talked a little bit about this. It's being sequelized technically, but it also kind of feels like a remake. And this is something we're seeing more and more of where they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. You want the nostalgia factor of the sequel and you want to be able to kind of reference the old movie, but you also want to have the freedom to do whatever you want. And I I think that Jurassic world fits this trend perfectly where It is technically a sequel, but it feels very much like a reboot, like the park is just here and open again. But we also mentioned that the previous movie happened. I think it probably started as a trend with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. That was a movie where they managed to reboot the old series with new Kirk, new Spock, but they also found a way to tie it back into the old movies and make it a sequel. And that really made a lot of people happy. It was like, if you didn't know the old movies or show, you could follow it, but if you did know the old movies or show, you weren't your intelligence right. wasn't you insulted. Cl- you can't complain about it being a remake, because technically... Technically, it's not. I think that might be it. You sort of cover all your bases. So this new vacation movie is about Rusty, who the teenage son from the previous movies is now all grown up, has his own family, and he decides to take them on his own cross-country vacation to Wally World before it closes forever or something like that. Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo have, I, what I'm told, are very brief appearances. I can only
1: imagine that it is a probably like a torch w- moment. Yeah,
0: like a one or two scene kind of cameo, basically. So, th- this question we've discussed before: should this one be off limits? Is it verboten? Is it should it, you know? Is it uh, allowed to be remade or sequelized? Personally, I think it can be. They made a bunch of sequels before. Uh, it was kind of run... They already ran the franchise into the ground once. They did commercials Whoa, 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 as,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we talking about when we're talking about running the franchise? You were a ground? fan
0: of Vegas Vacation? I am a huge fan of oh, Vegas Vacation. Pardon me. We I, play different games here. I'm sorry. Well, I've never been a big fan of Vegas Vacation. And they did a bunch of commercials as the characters. That's, that
1: is where it's egregious. Or they did like Cousin Eddie spin-off they did the
0: Yes, they did a sequel with the Randy Quaid character. Oh. That was straight to video. The Christmas Vacation 2, something like that. So, to me... At least it is not a holy text. I think if you were going to make like a straight up remake, there is some there's kind of almost a value in that. There are some parts in the old movie that are very dated. The scene where they go to St. Louis that is in the wrong part of town, which is frankly a little racist. Uh, well, it's a-,
1: a little racist, but it's also preying on people. I mean, it's preying on white people a little bit. Like It's like you're not in the wrong part of town. You are just so white picket fence. Yeah.
0: That's, don't I don't think-
1: even know America.
0: Yes, I think that's sort of what it's supposed Although to be. Although that, Natural Lampoon is a racist magazine, <laughs> I think that was supposed to <laughs> sort of be the the point or the excuse they would have given. But it, Harold Ramis, before he passed away, recorded a DVD commentary for The First Vacation, and <laughs> on it he openly like admits that he doesn't really love this scene anymore. He wouldn't have included it, you know, now that's or fair. whenever the DVD was made. So I get I get the the idea of, of remaking this. Uh, I think that even though Chevy Chase is really funny as Clark Griswold, it's one of his best characters, most iconic performances. I think that the stuff you remember from the movie is the stuff that reminds you of your own family, your own disastrous road trips. And that's like an American institution. We all have that. There is something here that I feel like is sort of, you can it's one of those like breakfast club things where I would like to see the 2015 version of the disastrous road trip. I think that there is plenty of material there to mine, right? That in the old movie, there's no cell phones, there's no GPS, there's no internet. There's all new horror stories that could be told. So I haven't seen the new vacation. The trailers don't look all that great to me, but there's I, th- there's, I think that the idea is – like I get the idea. If I was a studio executive and you came to me and said a new vacation, I would instantly say – Okay, that makes sense. Who's in it? What's the take? Like, I wouldn't just. It's dismiss a pretty it. basic
1: premise. right? Yes. you're just gonna go on a road trip and you're gonna hit funny bits. Yeah, it's it's a sketch movie essentially. Right.
0: Um. And but with I, the right performers right. and and the right sort of nods Ed to Holmes the old is movie, good casting. Yes. Yes. I agree. He does kind of feel like he 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 would fit right in that in that uh, sweet spot. Well, I, so. also,
1: I also like that no one's played Rusty twice so that also lives up That's to true. the That's true. It's another
0: part where it sort of fits, right? You don't need to cast one of the old rusties because in every Vegas uh, in every vacation movie the kids had different casting anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, that works pretty well. So, although he should run into Anthony Michael Hall hopefully somewhere. That would be funny. Uh so yeah, the old movie other than some uh, certain material that hasn't aged well, it holds up, it's still funny, but I'm not opposed to the 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 sequel. I'm kind Looking forward to a little bit. I hope it's good. So that is Vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation. That is available to rent on all the various usual renting rental sites.
1: Yeah, it really needs that National Lampoon's in front of it, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not going to have it, though. And my, my second pick here is a movie
1: that is right up there with Vacation for me in terms of being laugh-out-loud hysterical, which I don't do a lot of laughing-out-loud these days. I don't know why. Maybe jokes are just mm hmm funny, <laughs> but... um. I'm going with Police Squad, uh, or, or no? I'm going with The Naked Gun files from Police Squad. I wish I could go with Police Squad, the television show, but I'm going with The Naked Gun, the spinoff um, from 1988. This is directed by David Zucker, but obviously conceived by Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrams, the the zaz team, um, and this stars Leslie Nielsen as uh, as Frank, Detective Drebin.
0: Lieutenant Frank Drebin.
1: Yes, and. Um, And co-starring O.J. Simpson and Ricardo Montalban and Priscilla Presley, all sorts of crazy stuff. And I'm sure people have seen this movie, but I definitely wanted to bring it up because, Matt, I think you wrote an article recently about trying to remake uh the naked gun is that is that correct which uh by the way i should mention they've been trying to remake the naked gun with ed helms with who's ed starring helms. in the vacation there's a
0: lot of connection here ed helms is apparently the go-to guy when you want to remake an 80s comedy i mean i i don't know that which article you're referring to directly but i certainly have been paying attention to this because like you the naked gun to me is one of the all-time great movie comedies right. i would put it on a list of like my all-time favorites it would be in the top 10 for sure maybe the top five i have seen it dozens of times sure and what and what i like about and just to set up the naked gun for
1: people who haven't seen it for some crazy reason if you haven't seen it, i don't i don't know what to say to you um i love airplane probably the funniest movie of all time and they and zaz basically takes airplane and applies it to a procedural um with a real character at the heart of it uh, frank trebin is clouseau times a thousand he is idiotic he he You know, he's doing absurd things. He's putting a giant condom around himself to have sex. Um, Nothing. He is a cartoon character more than Clouseau, but the reality around him seems to be a regular detective movie so he um is in the beginning i think busting a heroin operation and officer norberg his partner played by oj um is is shot up in a very horrific way uh that drevin can't save him and suddenly it's a quest he he gets stumbles into an assassination plot against the the queen of england uh, queen elizabeth and it's all sorts of nonsense complete nonsense lunacy um and the the gags they pull off in this movie they all spoof real things that would happen in a detective movie uh, you know the car chase or the interrogation scene or um, you know the the assassination plot takes place a big baseball game that feels Bruce Willis could have been in this movie um, and, and yet twist 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 gag 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 and and none of it slips like all these gags play again I can't get that image of him with a giant condom around himself out of my mind ever uh, Matt well, I think the article I was referring to was about parody and spoof, uh. and how these movies, the Zucker Abrams joints, don't really play by any. They play by their own rules, and they don't somehow they can care about plot and still be truly absurd. And it's hard to envision a movie like that. I mean, certainly our modern spoofs aim for something similar, the scary movies being kind of the last ones or the, the Friedberg and Seltzer, which I went down that route hole last year into a terrifying degree, seek Grantland. Uh, but there's nothing like it. There's really nothing like it. And if you remade it with Ed Helms today, I think it would just be like the Get Smart remake.
0: Well, they've said, I think, that they don't plan on making, if this Naked Gun thing happens, like they don't want to make a spoof. Like... I guess it would just be a an, another kind of cop action comedy, I guess. I, it's very bizarre because when you think of Naked Gun, that's what you think of. It's like a spoof of cop movies so it's it's a very strange sort of proposition it's like if you take the thing that made it a thing out of it what do you have left and i guess all you have is like a title and that's again it's about brands for a lot of these studios it's like the naked gun has a brand it has a name so we'll just use that but to me it's like i i don't get it i don't know what the naked gun is without that spoof thing but on the other hand as you're saying the spoof has really fallen on hard times it is a it is a sort of a, a a destitute wasteland of a former great Comedy well, I think, subgenre. I think it's
1: because visual comedy has fallen apart too. Like the days of Jim Carrey are almost over. Melissa McCarthy carries that physical comedy torch. But again, a movie like Spy, which is out in theaters now, um, does not, it's not a visual comedy. There's action and then there's mouthing off. There's jokes. Right. Um, and the Apatow era really shepherded in mouthing off. And even 21 Jump Street. I mean, Chris Miller and Phil Lord are, are the successors to Zazz in a way because they play, they'll throw in a visual gag but it's it's more about being extreme than it is throwing in an image or like a background gag and they uh, do
0: they do like to sort of tease at genre i mean 21 jump street is in a way a kind of a successor to the naked gun in that it does kind of make fun of cop movies and also high school comedies in that way they're sort of playing with the form a little bit but it's not that kind of it's not a spoof it's not you know winking at the camera it's not sort of deconstructing in the same way
1: exactly it's not it's not challenging the genre and finding what's wrong and it's not referencing things like that right it's squeezing in jokes to the nooks and crannies of this tired format this tired detective story yeah i don't really all the all the nooks and crannies are filled and I often think, whenever I think about comedy and trying to relate what a, a joke will be or how it will play, I think of Mike Myers on SNL, who always talked about how he never got his sketches on air. Right. Um, you know, he got a few, but he would never get them on air because no one got it. Like, they couldn't picture why it was funny until he did it. Uh, and that's why the characters he did were so successful, but half of them never made screen. And Naked Gun comes to mind. Like, if I tried to explain the jokes in Naked Gun, I would fail completely. Uh, I and, guess... and the Naked Gun prevails and you can watch it on Netflix and you should if you haven't seen you it. Should. Don't
0: watch a trailer on YouTube, just watch the movie. It's true. It holds up very well. I I completely agree. I still love the original Naked Gun. I'm not opposed to a remake, but I am sort of mystified that you would do it without making it a spoof, but one again- of the problems too is hiring a comedian or a comedic actor to play that part. I That's think. a good point. The
1: key was Leslie Nielsen, who was coming from serious drama. Right,
0: he was sort of a B actor who did a lot of kind of middling dramas and and that sort of thing, and that his sort of stodginess. And his image as a guy who did a lot of like just like straight B movies—that was what made it work so yeah, well. Yeah, who is
1: who is like the third build in the modern day whatever? Because Leslie Nielsen was in a Forbidden Planet. Yes. So take like a B sci-fi movie and imagine who should be in the Naked God. Gun. <laughs> That's a great
0: question. I don't even who was in Skyline. Oh wait, Donald <laughs> Faison. He's a comedian. <laughs> Crap. I don't know. I'm I'm racking my brain. Maybe maybe later in the show I'll think of someone. Maybe but yeah. Amy. Maybe that's not that's not terrible. If he could be fu- if he's funny, if he could really—he was kind of funny in that
1: terrible Transformers movie, which is not specific yes. enough.
0: But, yes. Uh... Well, we'll have to think about that some more. But in the meantime, people can watch the original Naked Gun on uh, Netflix. Alright, let's wrap up this episode of SVU with Behind the Eight Ball, where we recommend some new titles on streaming, we give you two listener recommendations, and we also give you one film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists. I didn't make uh, Matt go through this. I did it, though, so you have my uh, recommendations, and he can chime in where he would like as well. I love chiming in. yes. Yeah, so you'll be chiming wherever is appropriate, but let me kick things off here with our three new releases on streaming. First up, Martin Scorsese's Howard Hughes biopic, The Aviator. Leonardo DiCaprio stars as the eccentric businessman, pilot, inventor, and obsessive germaphobe, I just rewatched this movie about a year ago for a piece I was working on about DiCaprio, which I ended up never writing. But I was very surprised. I actually liked this movie a lot, probably more than I did when it came out, uh, you know, a few years ago. I really um, sort of appreciated the craft, the cinematography, the period details, and I thought DiCaprio was really good. I didn't really appreciate his performance the first time through, but just this portrait of this guy, this great man kind of destroyed by his neuroses. Maybe as a neurotic, there's something in there I can relate to. I don't know. But it's a good movie. That is The Aviator. It is available now on- Show me all the blueprints. Exactly. It is available now on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And next up, the most recent film from Martin McDonough, the director of In Bruges. That is Seven Psychopaths, which is available now on Amazon Prime as well. It's the- Heartwarming story of a fairy tale princess and her mystical unicorn. Hold on, I've got my notes mixed up here. Let me. Okay, yes. This is the one about the crazy lunatics, the psychopaths in and around Hollywood, played by a cast that includes Colin Farrell, Woody Harrelson, Christopher Walken, and Sam Rockwell, who has a monologue in this movie that is one of the all time great. I think just like kind of like speeches, movie speeches. It's on YouTube. If you've never seen the movie, if you just like type in Sam Rockwell monologue Seven Psychopaths, it'll come up. If you just want to see that part, but I recommend the whole movie. He also has a great dog hat. I should. He does. Should. He's, his costuming throughout the movie is pretty <laughs> outstanding. But that one scene in particular, I just still all the. I've only seen it the one time, but that scene has. I've just never forgotten that scene because it's so amazing. He's like giving a pitch for a movie. And acting it all out, and it's, it's, a, it's a tour de force. That's the only way to describe it. So that's Seven Psychopaths on Amazon Prime. And finally, something I haven't watched yet but I'm dying to check out, it is called Sense8. This is the brand-new Netflix series, from the Wachowskis, Andy and Lana, it's eight episodes. They directed the whole thing. They co-created it. Oh, they did not direct the whole thing. They did not direct the whole thing? They directed most of it, and I believe Tom Tickworth directed it. Oh, from their their partner from Cloud Atlas. Yep. So they, but they, they're they heavily involved. It's not like Oh, they, yeah. This is their baby. This is their baby, so to speak. No pun intended. The plot description is eight people discovered. They can telepathically experience each other's lives. It co-stars Tuppence Middleton and Duna Bay, and it's uh, supposedly the reason I was saying no pun intended is that they— they're, Thing that they were advertising or talking about before it came out was like live births, actual human births that they filmed for the show. I don't know how much is I in there. Believe it. I have, I have not seen. You haven't any watched of the it either, yeah. Yet.
1: No, I, I, I mean reactions seem mixed, but I'm pumped because you know what? I like Jupiter Ascending. Oh, I like no. Cloud Atlas. I, I love like Cloud Speed Racer. Atlas. I mean,
0: I, I, I haven't loved all of the things they've done lately, but I really admire the fact that they are just following their muse. They really don't seem to care. I don't know how much longer they'll be able to do that. I because... don't either. I don't either. And this, and in fact, this may be one of the last things they really get to kind of have complete freedom on because a lot of their things lately have not been successful, but I am glad they were able to make this. I'm very curious to watch it. I haven't read a ton about the the, the reactions to it, so I don't know what the critical response has been, but just the premise and the fact that they had their hands all over it, that they really made the whole thing or, or certainly most of it with Tom Tickfer I am fascinated. I I can't wait to watch it. So that's Sense8. That is the whole show is available now on Netflix. Let's get to two listener recommendations. First up from listener Eric in Columbus, Ohio. He says, hi, folks. I would like to recommend a few unusual choices to your listeners. As parents with a young child, my wife and I have waded through a lot of schlocky kids programming before we found these gems, both streaming on Netflix. Tinga Tinga Tales is a beautifully animated kids show that tells African folk tales with a regular cast of lovable characters, brilliant colors, and catchy songs. This is probably the most regularly quoted show in my household, as we have seen all the episodes a billion times. Rasta Mouse is a strange dose of surreal programming, which follows the titular character and his band, The Easy Crew, as they wander the, the city, solving problems and delivering hot jammin' rhythms to the people. Oh, my God. That's what it says here, Hot Jammin' <laughs> Rhythms. Specifically. Yes. After starting, uh, after staring at it with mouths gaping open and giggling for hours on end at its very existence, we discovered it is actually a very sweet and good-natured show with a lot of good lessons for kids about tolerance and friendship. And, are, hot and Hot jamming. And Hot jamming Rhythms, both highly recommended for listeners with young children or college students on drugs. And I know we have listeners that qualify for both those categories i know we have some parents who are listeners and we have some college students who are on drugs as <laughs> listeners so for all of those groups <laughs> tinga tinga tales and rasta mouse both on netflix that recommendation from eric in columbus ohio thank you so much eric so i have plans tonight that's great yeah now you know what you're watching next up from pierre in miami florida he says hi matt and allison I want to recommend two short science fiction films that can be found on Vimeo. The first is called The Brain Hack, directed by Joseph White, and it's about two guys who are trying to trick the brain into being able to see God. It's equal parts pie and primer with the paranoia of the man from the former and engineering minutiae and storytelling techniques of the latter. Like a lot of good science fiction, it can make a far-fetched high concept seem believable to our cynical minds. The second is C, 299,792 kilometers per second. A title as easy to say as Singer and Walmart's Completely Concise and Totally Succinct New Release Roundup by Derek Van Gorder and Otto Stuckmeyer. This short film is a love letter to space operas and ye olde practical effects. It knows precisely the look and feel of 80s space movies from the colorful visuals to the thumping music. It takes me back to my childhood while still being a fresh breath of air. The music is so good it is one of only two soundtracks I have ever purchased. Lastly, as an engineer it kind of makes us look like badasses so that strokes my ego quite a bit. Thanks for all the awesome reviews you and the Mothership Film Spotting are my favorite podcasts. That's from Pierre in Miami, Florida. Thank you, Pierre. And finally, one film chosen blindly. Before Allison left, she gave me a number from my, my list, and she gave me number 34. And this time that is Another Woman, the 1988 Woody Allen film starring Gina Rollins and Mia Farrow. The plot description is when a professor rents an apartment next to a psychiatrist's office. She eavesdrops on what transpires between the doctor and some of her patients. And this is one of maybe... Well, I haven't seen the most recent one. I'm trying to think of the Woody Allen movies I haven't seen. And I've never seen another woman. And I think I haven't seen Alice. Mm. And I haven't seen the most recent one. And that's it. I've seen every other one. So it's one of only a few that this I've never also watched. also
1: collecting dust on my list. Yes. And I think it's because of the poster. I'm just like Mia Farrow in her hat, just sitting there. Too. I, was <laughs> l-
0: I was looking at it, though. It's only like 80 minutes. We oh. should really just... Man up and, and get it over with just to be completist and be able to say we've seen it, which I feel like I will do someday, but probably not today. <laughs> In any event, that is Another Woman, and that is available on Netflix. We don't need to go through our listener's choice options for our next episode. We know what it's going to be. It's going to be Winter Sleep. Hopefully, after a-, a month's delay, we will finally get around to discussing Nuri Bilgit Jalan's most recent can winning film. Allison will be back for that. It should be a good show. I'm not sure what the theme is going to be connected to that. We'll we'll have to discuss it. I'm, I'm, we haven't decided on the theme. If you have a theme suggestion, we're more than uh, happy to hear it. You can email it to svu at filmspottingsvu dot com. Matt, I want to thank you for joining me on this episode. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I'm going to have sleep paralysis now. <laughs> Goodbye. Where Where can people uh, find you on the internet? Uh, I am on the Twitter,
1: at Mr. Mister Patches, and uh, Oh, you should follow me on Tumblr, MattPatches.com. And, of course, I'm writing every day on uh, Esquire.com.
0: And your film podcast, which oh, is yeah, excellent. Oh, yeah, right. I
1: should probably bib that, because... People listen to this and listen, should listen to the podcast. I, I am on Fighting in the War Room, and you can find the episodes on fightinginthewarroom.com, and we're on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. Through. You guys have episodes about sort of you discuss topics, and then you also have episodes that are reviews, so it's... We do a lot of crazy stuff. Yes, yeah, so you do TV as time. well sometimes. We do it all, anything on our brain. It's a very good show. I was just listening to this week's episode just yesterday, actually, so people should check that out as well. FilmSpottingSVU.com is where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The FilmSpottingSVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and our winter sleep review. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Matt Singer. Allison is at Allison Wilmore. Matt Patches is at Mr. Patches. And you can also follow the show at SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we also share lots more streaming suggestions from us and from you guys, the SVU listeners. And speaking of SVU listeners, don't forget, send us your feedback, send us your streaming recommendations. One more time, the email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. For filmspotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening.